Good morning. How is everybody this morning? Good. It's an honor to be worshiping here with you today. I am thankful and excited for this opportunity to share God's Word with you. When I'm invited to uh, have an opportunity like this, I'm often tempted to share in a way that might be considered more effective in human terms, uh, at least in by how I get the message to you. But more than those temptations, I want to glorify God. And so this morning, we're going to do that the only way I know how. We're going to open his book. We're going to read his word. And I'm going to do my best to faithfully explain that word to you. And I'm going to fall short, but my prayer in preparing this week and even this morning is that where I fall short, God will use His Holy Spirit to glorify Him in His Word in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, we turn with me to Romans chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, we'll have the verses on the screen for you. And so I've chosen to call this sermon Called, because we're going to see this morning that Paul, who we're going to read about, and you and I have been called to a mission. So Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his holy scriptures, through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, According to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. We pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for your word and for your grace that you give us every day. God, we ask that as we study what you've said to us, you would bring clarity, um, understanding, and that you would cause this word to take root in our lives and to bear fruit for you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I believe that what God wants us to see today are two undeniable truths that lead us to a single exhortation for our lives. And I want to spend most of our time this morning in the latter half of this text looking at that exhortation. But before we do that, I want to first look at who's writing this letter. So the letter to the Romans is written by Paul. And it's worth noting here how he introduces himself because this small section is him introducing himself and justifying why he is an apostle. So he first says, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. And what is a bondservant? They are a slave, someone who has been purchased and is therefore bound to their master. Paul knows that each of us was bought at a price, and he knows that he himself was bought at a price. There's a story of an African slave who was about to be speared by his master. And So as they're standing there, a traveler who's walking by 
throws his arm out to ward off the spear, and he himself gets pierced by the spear. And so as he's standing there, blood is pouring out of his arm. He demands the slave as his own, saying, I have paid for him with my suffering. And so the master reluctantly agrees that the slave is now his, and as this now former master is walking away, the slave throws himself at the feet of his deliverer, saying, I will be your slave, for you have bought me with your blood and took pity on me, and I will serve you faithfully. And he insisted on accompanying his deliverer and taking delight in waiting upon him in every possible way. And so this joy that the slave felt in serving his new master is the same joy that Paul feels in serving Jesus and the same joy that we should feel in serving Jesus. And so differently for Paul than for us, though, is that he's also called to be an apostle. And so an apostle is one who is sent as a messenger or an agent, the bearer of a commission. And apostle, as we talk about right here, refers to um, like the twelve or Paul. Um, the apostles, the twelve, they were with Jesus during his whole ministry on earth. They saw him crucified and they saw him risen. And Paul was encountered by Jesus on the road to Damascus in that brilliant light when Jesus called him by name and changed his heart. And then we learn in Galatians that Jesus taught Paul. He says, "For I neither received the gospel from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, when God, who set me apart from, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul had the gospel specially revealed to him by Jesus. And the apostles are those who are encountered and taught by Jesus and specially appointed by Jesus as agents for his glory. And we see in Acts 9.15 that this is true of Paul. God tells Ananias, go for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. So Paul was God's chosen instrument to spread the gospel among the Gentiles. Jesus paid the price for Paul so that his name would be carried among the Gentiles and the Jews. And it's out of the grace and the love that Paul has received in Jesus that he faithfully and joyfully carries this message. So these words, bondservant and apostle, they describe Paul's relationship to Jesus. Jesus stepped in to Paul's place and redeemed his life for Paul's. And then he specially appointed Paul to carry his name among the Gentiles. So Paul, a bondservant of Jesus, an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Now, let's look at um, Romans 3, just two chapters later, verses 21 through 26. Paul defines this gospel that he's been set apart for. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, Paul has quite a way with words. Let me kind of rephrase that in a way that will hopefully help you understand it like I have. When Paul says the righteousness of God, he's referring to the justice of God and that justice that comes through Jesus, who's been testified about in the Old Testament. And so, all have sinned and all can be justified by the free gift of grace through faith in Jesus, who God showed as a propitiation, which is a payment for our sins, and He is able to justify any and all who will call on Him in faith. So, we've all sinned against an infinitely holy God. We have exchanged the glory of the perfect God for the stuff that He has created or the stuff that He has enabled us to make. I hate to use the word stuff because it's really lazy, but I don't know what word to use to encompass all that we have traded God for. I mean, in the beginning, it was creation. It was the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, the rain. And then you see handmade idols of wood, bronze, silver, gold. And today, sports, money, cars, houses. We have traded God for everything that cannot fulfill us. He is the only one who can fulfill us. But we said, or I'm sorry, we sinned by saying that this stuff could fulfill us. And so for our sin, we deserve punishment. And that punishment has been created in what we call hell. The reality is that for everyone who does not call on the name of Jesus, they will suffer an eternal punishment for their sins. And this is what we all deserve. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 2,000 years ago, God made known to us His righteousness, and His wrath was ready to be poured out on us. And the reality is, or I'm sorry, but in His love for His creation, namely you and me, He sent Jesus, God in the flesh, to take the wrath due to us upon Himself. He took all of our sin and died the death we deserve for our sin so that we could be made free from that sin. And then three days later, He rose to life so that not only would we, made, would we be made free from sin, but we could be made alive to God. And now, all that we have to do is call on the name of Jesus to save us, and He will. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart amount a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So salvation is ours for the taking. And in verse 2, Paul says that this gospel that he's been talking about was promised beforehand, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So he's saying the Old Testament writers, they talked about Jesus. And they didn't just talk about Jesus, they prophesied and made promises about Jesus. From the first sin, God began to tell us of the coming 
of Jesus. In Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. That's Jesus. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the first promise we have of the coming of Jesus. And it's far from the last. In Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until the one whose right it is comes. That's Jesus. And to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. Ezekiel 34.23 then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. These are just three of the prophecies that are about Jesus. And so these prophecies lead us to the first truth today. Jesus is the promised Son of God in the flesh with all authority. Jesus is the promised Son of God in the flesh with all authority. So here's what I mean by this. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me of our text. Concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So in brief, these verses tell us that the gospel is about Jesus, but in full, they tell us who Jesus is. Verse 3 says, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh. And so if we go back and we look at Matthew chapter 1, we see Jesus' genealogy. And with that, we have Abraham to David, David to the exiles, and then the exiles to Jesus. And so somewhere in the middle of that, in the exiles, between 590 and 570 B.C., Jesus is prophesied by Ezekiel in the verse we just read. And so in these verses today, Paul's saying, we have the scriptures that prophesied it, and Jesus fulfilled it when he was born and when he preached the word of God to the people. In verse 4, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was declared the Son of God in several ways, but two that are present here. So first by the spirit of holiness and that's the Holy Spirit. In John 1, John the Baptist testifies that the Holy, of the Holy Spirit being on Jesus. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So John testified that God told him how he would know Jesus was the Son of God. And so the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus and rested upon him, and he knew Jesus was the Son of God. And we also know Jesus is the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. In Romans 6, Paul says it like this, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The glory of the Father is demonstrated here in Jesus through his power over death. Because who has power over death but God? 
And so for Jesus to rise from the dead in his own power declares Jesus is the Son of God. Here's what we need to see through these verses so that when we read the next ones, we understand what they mean for us. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God in the flesh. He willingly, for you and for me, for the sake of his name among all the peoples, submitted himself to the will of the Father to take on a human body to be bruised and beaten, to be killed on a criminal's cross, and he rose in victory with our freedom in hand, and now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Troy talked in Mark chapter 4 last week about how even the wind and the sea obey him, and we see even after Jesus' resurrection that not even death has power on him. Acts 2.24 says, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So this is the Jesus who died for us. This is the Jesus who rose for us, and all for the glory of his name. So the first truth, Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh, promised Son of God in the flesh with all authority. And the second truth, we have received grace and a mission from Jesus for the sake of his glory. Verse 5, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith of all the Gentiles for his name's sake. We have received grace. And why do we need grace? We said it earlier. We sinned. So Romans 3 again, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but just being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So we're back to the gospel now, and specifically grace in the gospel. Grace is totally unearned. And that's the beauty of grace is it can't be bought or paid for. It can't be earned. It's freely given to us. And we often do everything we can to work for that grace, to earn it from God, but it's all wasted. We saw earlier that all we have to do is call on the name of Jesus in faith, and out of his grace, he saves us. So in Ephesians 2, Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And praise God for that. I mean, because we can't earn his grace, so we're all eligible for it. We can all receive it now. Each and every person in this room today has the opportunity to accept that grace. You don't have to get your act together before you come to Jesus because you can't. He accepts you just as you are by offering you the free gift of his grace. That's how much he loves you. And so Paul says we've received grace and apostleship. Notice the grace comes before the apostleship. We cannot do anything for God without first receiving his grace. But likewise, we can't do anything, or we can't receive his grace without also receiving apostleship. And so it's not apostleship in the sense that Paul is an apostle, because the word apostleship here would literally translate as sending. And so we say that we have received the mission or we've been called to the mission. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This same call applies to us. We have received the grace of Jesus 
with the call of Jesus. And Paul words this call in our text as to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. And that's really kind of a weird way to say it. But when we look at the Great Commission, Jesus said it very similarly. He says, to go and make disciples, means to, that means to go and call to faith. And before someone can be a disciple of Jesus, they must place their faith in Him. And the obedience is to that faith. Jesus said, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. So the faith is in Jesus, so the obedience must be of Jesus. And to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles means that we're taking the gospel to them. We're fulfilling the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We're making disciples of all the peoples and teaching them to obey everything that Christ commanded. For His name's sake. Everything we do is for His name's sake. Philippians 2, 8 through 11, Paul says, Jesus being found in appearance as man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. For His glory, that's why we as a church have the mission. We declare God's greatness in every culture through the Jesus life. When we say God's greatness, we mean His glory. And so it's all for His name's sake, all for His glory. So the first truth, Jesus is the promised Son of God in the flesh with all authority. Second truth, we have received grace and a mission from Jesus for His name's sake, for His glory. And that leads us to our exhortation. We must carry out the mission to which we have been called. So there's one last verse, verse 6, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. We are also the called of Jesus Christ. So because Jesus is the promised Son of God in the flesh with all authority, and because we have received grace and a mission from Him for His glory, we must carry out the mission He has given us. I have no authority in this church but God's Word does. We believe that this written Word of God is the final authority in our lives. So when I'm preaching here, I have no right, I have no authority to call you to anything. But for this one week, God has appointed me to the task of heralding His message to you. So the only authority I have is the Word of God, and I bring this exhortation to you today based on His Word. We're called to go and to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. And I want to insert a quick reminder that we are among the Gentiles. There are only two options, Jews and Gentiles. So if you're not born of Jewish descent, you are a Gentile. For most of us, if not all of us, that means we are Gentiles. So we are not God's chosen people, Israel but we are God's chosen people, the church, and we have been called to a mission. When we accept the grace of Jesus, we are given the mission to go, to make disciples of all nations, including ours, but not just ours, also to the ends of the earth. 
So how do we apply this into our lives? Tomorrow, most of you will return to work, or for some of you, that might be today or later this week. In a couple of weeks, students will return to school, and you are going to encounter people in your daily lives that are hurting and broken, and they need to know Jesus. You have been given a mission to bring about the obedience of faith among all the peoples, to make disciples. And so when someone comes to you and they're saying they're going through a tough time or they need help, be there for them. And then use that opportunity to tell them about Jesus, what He's done for you, what He can do for them. Share His love with them. We also have Move 342, prime time in the vault in Harrisonville, in the vault in Garden City, happening every week. Sunday through Thursday, there is a time when students are gathering and some of them are unchurched or not saved, and they need to know that there is a God who loves them, and Jesus paid the price for them so that they could have a relationship with them. These are awesome opportunities to engage in the lives of kids who are hurting and broken. Or you could join us in the Uplift ministry, serving the needs of the homeless in Kansas City. And this is a great opportunity to reach out into their community and serve them and share the love of Jesus with them. We also have a student mission trip coming up in October to Taiwan. And I would seriously encourage every student to go. They usually have several trips throughout the year, so if you can't make this one, go on the next one. And there's even opportunities for longer-term stays. Um, and that's not just for students. That's for adults, people of any age. Um, Amy and I just spent under three, just under three months from March to June in Taiwan, and we're looking at going back in October. So we have others who've been there for the majority of the past three years uh, introducing Jesus in the public school system and building relationships with the churches there to carry out the mission we have been called to. And so we're always looking for more opportunities to engage in Taiwan because there are 23 million people that live on that island and 670,000 of them are evangelical Christians. So that's less than 3%. There is a major need for the gospel in Taiwan. That's why we've gone in the past, and that's why we continue to go now. So one other application for you, and then I'll wrap this up. There are 7,000 unreached people groups in the world, representing more than 3 billion people. And these are people who have never heard the name of Jesus. They've never even had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And the vast majority of the unreached people in the world live in what we call the 1040 window. So, I don't know if you can see it, the square up here, rectangle, those red countries are what we call the 1040 window. And of the more than five billion people that live in this window, more than three billion of those are unreached. Now, if you're keeping track, that doesn't really add up because I just said three billion people in the whole world. 97% of the unreached people in the world live in this window. They have no access to the gospel, and for a number of them, they have no Bible translation in their language. I'm not saying that God is calling you to go to these people. He might be. That would be super awesome. 
But what I am saying is we can pray for the gospel workers who are already in these areas or who are going to these areas in the future to get a Bible into the hands of these people um, in their own language, to share the love of Jesus with them. So there's an app I use called Joshua Project. And you can download it on your phone, and it will send you daily reminders to pray for the unreached peoples of the world. So this morning, we're praying for the Mangrik in India, 16,000 people whose whose religion is Buddhism. And it's possible that they've seen Christians, or at least people who claim to be Christians but don't really live it out. And so this could have hurt the witness of real Christians among them. But there are no known Christians among this people group. And they need gospel workers who will carry the gospel and the love of Jesus to them. So Joshua Project gives you specific needs and obstacles that you can pray for so that the gospel can be carried to those people. And I would encourage you to download this app and pray with me today for the Mangrik and in the coming days for other unreached peoples. There are so many ways that you can get engaged in this mission. More than I could list this morning and way more than I did list this morning. So I would encourage you to engage in any of these, maybe all of these, if you can. So we're going to finish up. I would like to invite you, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, let today be the day. I would be honored to pray with you. Um, I'll be right over here after we finish up. Or if you're interested in becoming involved in any of these ministries that we've talked about this morning, I'll be right over here, and I'd be glad to talk with you about those also. So I'm going to pray for us, and we'll be dismissed. God, you've given us your word this morning. And it's not necessarily an easy word to process and to put into practice in our lives. We thank you for the grace we have received in Jesus. And we ask that you would help us in the coming days to begin to further engage in the mission you've called us to. Lord, as we leave here today, would you show us how we can reach out to those around us to show them your love? And Lord, we pray for the Mangrik in India this morning. We ask that you would prepare gospel workers to go to these people, that they would share your love with them, share the gospel with them, that you would be glorified among the Mangrik in India. Lord, I ask your blessing over everyone here today, and that as they seek out ways to live your mission, they would be blessed in you. In Jesus' name, amen.